Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello there. I hope you're all well and are having a good week. I'm sorry this episode is so late getting out to you. I will be back in the swing of things of doing two episodes. So you will have a Monday episode and a Thursday episode next week. Fingers crossed. So this episode is that I'm sharing this week is my chat with Shauna. Now I spoke to Shauna, um, about, I think it was two years ago now, um, and she shared her story of loss, multiple losses um, in the Between Us conversation. And I will share a link to that in the show notes. So a couple of us who suffered early pregnancy loss got together to openly chat about our experiences um, really openly, which was nice. So I will link that in the show notes. You can listen to her um, experience with loss in far more detail there. So in this episode, she chats about her the birth of her first son. Um, she talks about being that first time mom and just going into pregnancy and labour, thinking that you're just going to just you're going to go to hospital, you're just going to have a baby, and there's not much in between. Um, she admits that she definitely lacked preparation side of things. Um, she talks about the birth itself, which was pretty traumatic. Um, so it wasn't an experience that she expected, or I suppose anyone would. Um, the hospital wasn't necessarily the right fit for her the people who cared for her well as as Shauna mentioned cared for her in inverted commas um so there was a lot missing in terms of support within the hospital but when she got home she was seen by a midwife for I think it was five days and then her baby was also seen separately so she had someone for herself who really um gave her the care that she need (coughs) needed and understanding and time and she had patience and everything with her and really helped her with breastfeeding She then moves on to chat about her two early pregnancy losses. Shauna speaks about them really briefly in this in this episode because we spoke about them so in depth before in the episode I mentioned at the start of this introduction. She then goes on to speak about her most recent birth experience, which was just 
gorgeous. And it was so nice to see her face changed as she went on to, to share her really positive experience. I, I don't want to share any further details there because I think it's it's so gorgeous. And also she's an incredible storyteller. Anyway, I will leave it there. Enjoy this week's episode and thank you, Shauna, for sharing. So, Shauna, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. I know I mentioned just on my stories there, we've been chatting for a really, really long time. Um, so it's yeah. really nice to sit down and have this conversation face to face. And you're sitting in Paris. This is really, really cool. Huh? Um, <laughs> I portray was like, oh, when they hear that. The romance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we were just chatting up the complete opposite of what the reality is. <laughs> Um, so if you want to give us a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll chat about your stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, thanks a million for having me on, Cora. It's so lovely to chat to you. Um, we talked, I think, for the first time on an episode regarding pregnancy loss mm-hmm. um, and I've been in contact since then. So it's really nice um, to be on this evening. Um, so my name is Shauna. Um, I am living over here in Paris with my husband, who is French. And we have our two little boys, uh, Hugo, who is going to be four in... 10 days, um, Elliot, who has just turned seven months, and then our little dog, Simon, as well, who was supposed to be our second child. So <laughs> the third, the third child. So we talk about your first, your first experience with conception. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so myself and Luca were married just a couple of months when we decided to try to not try and um, just to see what would happen. Um, we had the opportunity to relocate to Paris a few months or two months after we got married. And um, it was an opportunity for Luca's work. So we said, look, we're just married. We've no kids. Now's the time. Let's let's do it. I had always wanted to learn French. So I was totally up for it. So we arrived. And then a couple of months later, um, we were on our I won't say our honeymoon, but it was a gift from a friend um, to go to a a vineyard in Hungary. So we went for a couple of days over to Hungary. It was like a kind of second little honeymoon. Um, And we had a conversation that weekend to say, look, will we maybe try to not try? So I knew that I had polycystic ovaries. I had been diagnosed with that pretty late in my mid-20s. And we had been told that it can, not always, but it can be a challenge. Um, And I also had very, very irregular cycles. So we knew that it may be a bit of a journey ahead of us. Um, We had also both agreed that neither of us were particularly interested in going down the assisted fertility routes. We were of the opinion it either happened or it didn't. And if it didn't, that was okay. Um, So that weekend we said, look, will we give it a go and see what happens? Um, And thought no more about it. But of course, I got obsessive about it instantly. So I started to Google what's the first signs. I mean, we tried like was that weekend. Uh, what's the first signs if you're pregnant? How quick do you know you're pregnant? And I got really, I suppose, into it really quickly. But um, we came back to France after that. And a friend of mine was coming to visit that weekend. And I knew it was going to be a heavy weekend. There was going to be booze. We were going to be out late. And I just had this weird feeling that maybe I could be pregnant. And my husband was like, Shauna, you need to calm yourself. This is the first go. Like, this is going to be a long journey. If this is how into it you're getting already, uh, what's the likelihood? And I was like, I know, I know. But look, I'll just take a test and see. If it's negative, I can enjoy my drinks guilt-free. Um, and if it's positive, won't that be amazing? So I got a two-for-one deal on Clear Blue. And I did it, and it was negative. And I was like, oh, okay, Brad, sure, look, it was never going to happen that quickly for us. Anyway, we leave it there. We leave it there. Um, and that weekend, my friend was there. We had a great time. But I noticed that we were on the metro and we were only on the metro, I'd say about three or four minutes. And I just I couldn't bear the smell of the hairspray in 
the woman in front of me was overpowered me, turned my stomach. I was just really, really put off by the smell. And I was like, God, that's weird. I need to get off the metro. I don't feel 100%. We got off the metro. And then for the rest of the weekend, I couldn't shake the kind of niggly feeling that I had got the few days prior. So I was like, I'm going to do that test. As soon as she's gone, I'm going to do the other. I'm going to do the freebie test and see. Um, so couldn't get her on the bus quick enough so I could get up back up the stairs and try mm-hmm. the second test. Um, and the faintest little second line appeared. So I was just jumped for joy. I was so, so excited. I remember just pacing the floor, holding the test, pacing the floor back and forth. Um, yeah, it was so exciting. I don't think you're ever prepared for that feeling of no. that, you know, either excitement or fear or whatever emotion is takes over. But I was just so overwhelmed, so excited. Um, and I called my husband. So the test was, you know, the digital that says pregnant or not pregnant. So it, the word had appeared in French, which is enceinte. And I called my husband. He didn't answer the phone. So I texted him and I said, Luca, when you have a second, can you call me back? I need help with a French word here. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And he was in uh, the deli getting lunch. And he called me back and I spelt out the word for him and I could just hear him. Apparently he threw a sandwich back into the fridge and ran out the door and he was so excited. That's such and a good idea. Yeah. If you <laughs> think of that. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was so exciting. And we were so innocent as well about it. Like we, yeah. we hadn't a clue what we were doing. Like I was only maybe, oh God, I must've just been the four weeks. If two days prior I was getting a negative and now I just had a faint line. Like I really was just about <laughs> pregnant and um, and we were in, all in, you know, complete. I was Googling music to play to your womb and like everything. I just, I completely consumed myself in it. Um, and we didn't know what to do. We we're like, what do you do here? I wouldn't even know what to do back home. I was like, do you go to the doctor straight away? Do you have to wait? What do you do? I text everyone I knew though in the meantime to say that I was pregnant. So we were like, <laughs> no holding back. Um, and so we went to, the first thing we did was find an obstetrician and we went. And I think for us, that was probably the first of many slippery slopes along that journey is kind of hasty decisions um, based in panic rather than actually thinking through what we were doing. So we went to see this, this um, old doctor um, who was, had no bedside manner, who was abrupt um, the examination he wanted, he calculated my dates and he was like, you're about six or seven weeks. And I said, no, I'm definitely not that far. Like, I know we actually know when we conceived. And it was almost this manner of like, how would you know? Like, you know, very dismissive, very, very dismissive um, and no compassion. So he was quite abrasive. And it was, if it was like, I had, he did an internal exam um, to do a scan and there was just no it was kind of, I think, I felt like I had no ownership over my body. And that kind of was the vein of how that pregnancy and birth went, okay. um, really. Um, so it was horrible. And he was like, look, it's not, I can't see anything in there. So it's possibly an atopic pregnancy. We were, we were dismissed like that. He was like, we're going to do blood tests to see if this pregnancy is viable. And I was like, but I don't think you would see anything because I really think I am just pregnant. And he was like, not according to your dates. We're going to do your bloods and see what's happening. And I was actually due to fly home to Ireland that next day um, to vote in the abortion referendum. And we had to cancel our flights because he said, if it's an atopic pregnancy, it's an emergency and you need to be here on standby and blah, blah, blah. So we did the bloods. And sure enough, I was right. He was wrong. The dates were completely off. I was just pregnant. There was no way anything was going to show in a scan. 
So we made the decision kind of there and then to change uh, care. Cause I was like, I can't imagine going through nine months with that guy. He was horrific. Like, and so again, another decision (laughs) was made in haste and we booked the hospital that was just around the corner from us, like literally six or seven minutes by feet. It seemed like the practical choice. And now the way the hospital systems are over here is that they're divided into tier one, tier two and tier three. So tier one is your bog standard, very healthy, no issues, pregnancy and predominantly midwife led care. Um, And if the baby is born at a certain too early gestation, then you have to move or transfer. If there's complications, then you transfer to tier two and then tier three being for more severe, serious cases. And it's all um, obstetrically led. So we chose a tier three hospital, not understanding what this tier three was all about. So just because it was around the corner, it felt convenient. So that's where we went. Um, now, Now, again, having being quite naive about it not having any knowledge knowing that we were going to walk and they're an uncomplicated case and one of two things were going to happen a complications were going to be found or b we were just kind of going to be left to to our own devices and that's exactly what happened the care was inconsistent it was there was no continuity of care there was you know you arrive our file was checked. We were given the once over sent on our way. There was no compassion. There was no talk. Well, what would you like? Or these are the options we have. Or it was just, we, they kind of didn't understand what we were doing there, but no one saying, look, you're, this is uncomplicated. You know, yeah. you should, you know, there's other options for you. We were never kind of given that guidance. So, you know, it, again, naivety, lessons learned for the second time but really someone should have said to us look you're absolutely fine you don't need to be in this hospital you know you're young you're healthy the pregnancy yeah. is healthy but well, no. for the sake of the hospital as well and their own time and efforts why didn't they just do that yeah absolutely for their own resources yeah um but anyway off we went um with that care um feeling quite unheard um you know I was going in there at that stage we don't even in France six months so my French was very 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 basic and so I was sitting in appointments you know either Luca was trying to translate them or I was nodding my head taking in 10% of what was being said so it was very much I felt like I was watching someone else go through the pregnancy while Mm. I was kind of a bystander to my own care Um, And I decided from the beginning, like from the absolute beginning, that we would go down the route of an epidural, that I didn't want to hear about anything else. I didn't want to listen to birth stories, really. Um, I didn't want I didn't want to hear anything like I wanted to watch one born every minute for the drama of it and the, you know, the Mm. the TV drama of it. But I didn't really want to hear anything other than I'm going to arrive. I'm going to take the juice. The baby's going to come out. And it's all going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And even with that mentality, kind of, I hadn't prepared for, well, what if it doesn't work, the epidural? Or what if you're not a candidate for it? Or what are you going to do while you're waiting for it to be administered? How are you going to manage this? You know, these sensations. I had zero, zero, zero preparation. Um, now, the pregnancy was very uneventful. It was absolutely fine. I felt really good and very energized. Um, no sickness. I really enjoyed being pregnant, actually. I really, really enjoyed it. I felt, I think it's probably one of the two times in my life I've had the most body confidence, actually, is when I've been pregnant. Um, so I really, um, really, really embraced it and was so excited that he was coming. But 
again, like we prepared everything in the sense of the bedroom and all the clothes. And I had a hospital bag packed for about 20 weeks, but we had no actual preparation done. You know, we thought by having all the right outfits and, you know, all those pieces, all those ducks in a line that, you know, things would just fall into place. Um, And just quickly, sorry. Of course. Did you feel you, okay, so did you not prepare at that side of things because you didn't know there was the level of preparation available or did you just not think you need to, you needed to? I kind of just was like, I think my, my attitude was just very much like, look, every second person in the world would do this. You arrive to the hospital, the doctors are there, you get your epidural and you push when you're told to push. And, you know, I have a younger sister and I have friends who have babies and I have little cousins and I'm going to know what to do. Like it's (laughs) maternal instinct will kick in and I'll know what to do. And so there was just, I think, a lot of naivety around it as well. And probably a little bit of ignorance, choosing to be ignorant as well. Um. I knew two friends of mine who'd had babies and both had quite traumatic experiences. And I think I was kind of like, I don't really want to hear anyone's Mm. story, good or bad. I just want to show up and my story will look however it looks. But, you know, it was um, a bit of a, a bit of a naive attitude to have, but it was our first baby and we had Najat. And over here in the French side of things, we were the first of our circle to have a baby here. And I think that makes a difference as well because yeah. we weren't surrounded in circles where people were talking about this kind of stuff or, you know, I had no pregnant women within my scope either. So um, we were just kind of winging it really. Um, but yeah, the pregnancy was super, super uneventful. Um, we found out that he was a little boy and we were delighted. Um, and yeah, it was, the scans were perfect. There was never, there was never any scary, you know, scary bits throughout the pregnancy. It was, you know, really smooth. Um, up until around 34, 35 weeks, um, I was due to travel home to Ireland for my friend's wedding. And I was kind of, I was just on the line of when I could fly, but I still needed to have a fit to fly certificate. So I had asked the midwife on duty, would uh, would he perform that or would he document that for me? And he was one of the not so nice midwives that I dealt with uh, during my time at that hospital. But he was like, no, you're already at a centimeter. There's no way I can I can do that fit to fly. This is your first baby. You're already at a centimeter. Um, I'm not taking that. I'm not I'm not having that on my hands if anything happens. So. I was like, God, I'm at a centimeter. And these things, again, this didn't mean anything to me. In my mind, I was like, okay, so this baby could fall out now in an hour. Do you know, like there was no, (laughs) there was no understanding of what that meant. Um, But he was like, look, I can't ethically give you that fit to fly. So I was like, oh God, well, I do. This is one of my best friends. You know, I'm going to go and get a second opinion. So we went to an independent midwife um, and then my relationship really started with her then for the, for the journey that came, but she was like, look, some women can stay at a centimeter for absolute weeks without contractions. It really doesn't mean anything. I would have no problem. If your pregnancy has been uneventful, you're not having contractions. I would have no problem, um, filling out that fit to fly for you. So I'll do it for you. So she was super cool, super chill. Didn't understand what the flapping was about over a centimeter. So we were delighted all set to head off in a week's time. But then about two nights later, I started to have a lot of cramping in the night. Um, we opened up the app, the contractions app. That's one thing we did have ready. Um, and we started timing them and they were coming kind of 10 minutes and then it would last for three minutes and then it would disappear and come back 30 minutes later and last for five minutes. And there was just this very unusual pattern. 
So I, of course, assumed I'm in labor. Let's go now. The baby's coming. Let's go. So we arrived in with all of our baggage (laughs) decked out to the hospital. The baby's coming. And they were like, "Okay, sit down there. We'll be with you in a minute kind of thing. So they checked me and they were like, look, you're a centimeter. Fair enough. But you have been like that now for a while. So let's put you on the trace. Let's see what's happening. So the contractions were actually showing on the trace, but with no regularity, no pattern, just all over the place. And it seemed that almost any movements I was doing was setting them off. So if I coughed, it would trigger one. Or if I got up too quickly, it would trigger one. So they were like, this is a bit unusual. Let's keep you in for a couple of hours and see what happens. You're 35 weeks now. We're not going to stop the baby from coming. If the baby wants to come, the baby wants to come. I was in a hospital, obviously, at the tier three. They could have handled a, yeah. a very small preemie anyway. So they were like, if this baby's coming, he's coming. So we spent, that was actually Christmas Eve we went in because we didn't get discharged until the Christmas day. So we were in overnight um, and nothing. Irregular nothing so they were like okay this could be something called prodroma labor which is where kind of contractions start but they're fruitless they don't really do anything to the cervix and some women can have it for hours others for days some for weeks so let's just see what happens so off we went home Christmas day exhausted and but we contacted my midwife and said if you're having this then you have to rip up that fit to fly there's no way you can go on a plane within this because reality is your baby could come tomorrow so or tonight so just no rip that up and stay where you are. So I was devastated to, to, to miss Christmas at home and my friend's wedding and everything, but fair enough. We were, we weren't, uh, we weren't going to take any risks. So over the next two or three weeks, uh, we found ourselves in hospital a couple of times with that. Um, and on the last or the second last visit, they were like, look, what we can do is give you tablets to slow this down because I was like exhausted. exhausted I wasn't yeah. sleeping. Um, like mentally, I was just in a state of like constant fight or flight, which looking back at it now, added so much to the actual labor in terms of how exhausted I was, how over it I was, you know, no motivation. I was just like, oh, just make this finish now, like get this baby out. However, so it's very frustrating as well when you think I had that with, I think both of them, but more severely with Oliver. Mm. I was ready to go a number of times. It's and it, it's really frustrating then because you don't know whether your body's lying to you or whether it's go time. It could be really, really affect you mentally. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I feel like such a drama queen as well. Yeah. Like, oh, God, like I'm just, you know, every time I talk to my mom, I was like, it nearly happened again. And she's like, you know, it didn't. But anyway, um, so, yeah, we were both exhausted. My husband as well was kind of sitting on the edge of the sofa watching me like a ticking mom. Like we were just it was pretty tiring. So they gave us medication. They kept us me in that night as well. And they were like, look it was like pretty hardcore medication. It was like two pills every 30 minutes for six hours or something. And it was like this cocktail of drugs to kind of slow it down. And they were like, if it is actual labor, these tablets are not going to do nothing. But if this is a sensitivity in your womb, it will relax it enough just to let you get some sleep and hopefully buy it, you know, every day inside is worth, you know, however outside. So let's keep the baby in there for as long as we can. So we were kind of like that for about three or four weeks. Um, and then, of course, at this stage, my husband uh, had been locked into the house with me, keeping an eye on me. And one of his friends had said to him, look, look, well, we go out for a couple of drinks. And, uh, you know, Sean is kind of she's not going anywhere. She's happy. out. I was having a great day. There was no sign of anything happening that day. Not so much as one twitch. And um, well, we go out for a few drinks. And Luca came like tail between his legs, you know, really like, 
would it be okay if I went out for a pint tonight? I was like, yeah, of course it would. You can go. I feel okay. Nothing's going to happen. Famous last words. So <laughs> he went out to have a couple of drinks. Um, I felt absolutely fine. Um, it's funny because looking back now, in hindsight, I can kind of see patterns that happened that night that happened with Elliot, where I was like restless and shuffling around and like moving things and just like restless, not feeling bad or anything, just feeling quite like, like I could have paced the floor, restless. But I, anyway, I went off to bed and he <laughs> came through the door, steaming. And I was like, <laughs> and I was lying in bed and he got into bed and he started the beer snores. And I was like, oh God, oh, raging. Got up out of the bed, went into what would soon be Hugo's room um, to, lie, <laughs> to lie in the spare bed and cursed him for everything. I fell asleep. And then about two hours later, I woke up and I just had this sensation of like a pop. And I stood up and my waters went like movie, monumental style, all over the floor, um, like really movie style. Like I remember thinking at the time, how will I know if my water went? And I know for some women it can be a little trickle or they yeah. don't know. There was absolutely no denying this. And the place smelled like a swimming pool as well. You know, it was just, it was awful so I give I, I let a roar up the hall um and of course he emerged he was like no not not, not, now. not now oh my god you probably didn't even want to call him yeah. <laughs> so but he, he like it's sobered him up like that he was like oh yeah. Jesus so I was like okay we, we need to go we need to go again not knowing that I didn't have to run us out the door that I could have stayed at home and got myself a bit more comfortable mm. Um, but you know, in my mind, the waters were gone. The baby was going to be here in 15 minutes kind of thing. So bags again, all packed up, arrived out to the hospital again. I'd stay at the station and they were just like, if tonight's not the night, you can stay out in the car park because I'd say they were just sick of seeing me in admissions. But, um, in we went anyway. And, uh, the doctors were like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll move you up to the ward now. Um, water's gone. Contractions are starting to arrive. And I found that the contractions, I didn't get eased into them. And I've heard since that once the water goes, that kind of cushion um, that's been there for your cervix is removed. So it can really heighten the sensation. So I kind of went from having this prodroma labor to these super intense contractions and having no tools at my disposal to manage them because I hadn't done any prep. I hadn't, you know, I wasn't ready. I just thought, you know, I was going to arrive at the epidural straight away and that would be it. So... We were in the pre-labor room um, and I had asked, I was like, look, get the epidural now. I wasn't able for them. I wasn't able for the sensations. I remember being completely overwhelmed by the sensations, pacing the floor, like panic breathing, panting out through my mouth. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't focus on Luca. He didn't have the tools to support me either. So we were like two headless chickens. He didn't know what was going on. He, he was looking at me. It was probably quite frightening to see me because yeah. I was in such a state of panic. Um, <clears throat> like begging for the epidural, like really begging for it because I just, yeah, I didn't know how to manage the sensations at all. So they came to check me and they're like, okay, you're a four. Ideally this, you know, ideally we'd like to give this to you a little bit later, but if you want it now, we'll get it for you now. But there was a long wait. It was a busy night on the ward. So I had probably about an hour to an hour and a half waiting for the epidural. And it felt like for like forever, forever, forever. And the anesthesiologist finally arrived anyway. And I got my epidural and it worked a charm. I didn't have any negative side effects. It worked within about 15 minutes. 
um, instant relief, total relief. Um, and up in the bed, I propped and we chilled out for hours. Now, again, this is, it's a busy hospital. It's dealing with emergencies. It's dealing with severe cases. But in that time that I had that epidural, I, for them, it was like, your woman in the corner there, not a bothering her. She's got the epidural. We'll see her in six hours. Mm-hmm. And they really only came in every now and then to do a reading, not to ask how I was. I never knew that even though I had my epidural, that I still should be moving. They still should be moving me to get the baby down. Um, nothing. So I lay and festered on my back for about six or seven hours, which obviously is no good for anyone. Not good for the woman, not good for the baby. Um, so the Ugo was always a big baby. He was measuring big and he was big. Um, and I'm quite a slight woman. So really, and what I learned for the second time was how much movement and being active and on my feet was going to be so important to facilitate baby coming down and, and getting out. Um, but there was none of it. So that was fine. They came in, they checked. I was at a 10 and they said they would give me an hour, an active hour for an active Active descent, I think, I think they said, and it was just to make sure the baby was coming down. Now, with the epidural, I'm not sure how they are at home, but here it's like self-administering. So you get like a little pump. And when you feel a niggle, you can just top yourself up. So I was topping myself up like my God, to the hill. So I felt nothing. I felt a little bit of pressure. And anytime I felt that, I was like, okay, I don't like that. Another bit of juice. So I really there was, I felt nothing absolutely nothing um did you like that because I've heard from I've spoken to other people who have who have self-administered and others who haven't and they uh said they just tapped away at that button and then were could could literally feel nothing for a very long time yeah and I was looking back at it now it was horrific and I really don't think particularly for vulnerable women who are frightened I don't think it's a good idea. I think, you know, that could be done by the hands of a professional who knows how to space it out properly according to your weight and gives enough to take the edge off, but also allows you enough sensation that when it comes to pushing your baby out, you actually know what the hell you're doing because I have no idea what I was pushing. You know, I couldn't tell you if I was pushing at all. Um, So for me, it was, no, it was in the moment, it was great because I had no pain, but the non effect of that was massive. Um, and the consequences of it were massive. So it came time to push and I must have only been pushing for about 10 minutes when Ugo got into cardiac distress. So his um, heartbeat fell through the floor and the machine started beeping. I just remember at that point, I felt quite drugged up anyway. I felt a little bit woozy. Um, I felt exhausted from the weeks that we'd had before that. So I didn't really feel like I was in, I felt like I was in the room, but I was watching this really dramatic one born every minute that it wasn't actually me and my body that this was happening to. Um, and I saw Luca and he was very good at kind of keeping his eyes on me and being like, it's okay. There's just doctors coming in to check. But, you know, it was, it was obvious that something wasn't right because there was doctors in the room and extra couple of midwives is about six or seven people I'd say in the room very very quickly um and I was on my back obviously my legs and stirrups so I felt really exposed like really exposed um and they were like look we need to get your baby out really quick I'm going to give you one more chance to push this baby out by yourself and if not you're going to need to have assistance and one thing I had said all along 
because friends of mine who'd had it done were left in a pretty bad way was if possible I wanted to avoid forceps um I was really quite scared of the idea of forceps from the beginning more than anything else forceps was something that I was really nervous about and all I could see in the background was this forceps going and I was like no not the forceps not the forceps and they were like try and get your baby out if you can't we have to use them and it was quite like this baby needs to get out so this is what's going to happen so I was told I was coached to push and like I said I have no idea if I even pushed I in my mind I was pushing for like my life but um but maybe not obviously not so Ugo wasn't budging so he was stuck he was stuck too high in the birth canal for the cup to be effective so it had to be the forceps and Apparently for a section at that point, it was too late because he would have needed to been pulled back up before taken out. So it would have been more damaging um, and obviously losing time as well. So off they went with the forceps and and it's not to, to scare any listeners or anything like that. But for me, it was the most violent thing I've ever experienced in my life. It felt like my baby, which is what happened, was just pulled out of my body and I let a scream not out of pain because I had an epidural I didn't feel pain but just this sensation that something had been removed forcibly from my body and it, it felt it was the most horrendous sensation I've ever felt in my life um and I was completely shocked he was out he was thrown up on top of me I was in absolute shock my my husband has the video he videoed both of our births and you can see that I'm like I don't even I haven't even registered really what's happened. And he's lying on me and the team are there rubbing him and and then he lets a cry out of him and then I cry, but there's this look of I just look lost. My face mm-hmm. I'm completely lost. Um and then thereafter it again it's all it's all a bit of a blur because he was taken away to be checked. And um, I got a little bit of skin to skin with him, but it felt like within minutes of him being born, he was in a vest in a baby girl with gloves and a hat and a sleeping bag and a blanket wrapped around him. And there was this like, you know, this big wrapped up baby was put into my arms and, and it felt, I I remember feeling like this isn't real. Like he hasn't really been born yet. This might be a dream. He may not be here yet. I might have a chance to do this again. You know, it didn't feel real. Um, and I had said that I wanted to try to breastfeed him. So again, a hospital where they'd loads of things, you know, more pressing things to deal with, you know, teaching me how to breastfeed was nowhere near their list of priorities. So they took one look at my nipples and they were like, well, you've flat nipples. Like we won't be able to latch them on onto that. And I was like, all right, then, you know, it was like, I already had felt like I'd failed in giving birth to him. And before I even got started, breastfeeding him I felt like I was failing on that already so there was just this real depleted that was kind of the first emotion I think I had around motherhood was just this feeling of being depleted and not able to do any of it um so a breast she a nipple shield was thrown at me and it was like okay use that because like those nips are useless they're not going to get you very far so use that so off we went to the ward and I was in hospital for about five or six nights I think I want to say five um five or six and for my time in hospital I think I maybe got up with Ugo once or twice other than that I lay in the bed my I didn't want to change his nappy I felt scared carrying him from the basket over to the bed beside me 
I felt scared to walk to the bathroom. I was so sure that after the birth and the start to the breastfeeding that I just wasn't able to do any of this, that I was going to drop him or that my husband, everyone was doing it better than what I could do. So no, you're doing a great job bathing in there. You do that. I'll, I'll, I'll admire him from this bed, but I don't want to do anything to hurt him. So I felt really incompetent from the beginning. And I think that was just, I suppose, a, an avalanche of bad choices from the beginning of the pregnancy to that date had just really surrounded us with people who didn't instill any sense of confidence in us whatsoever. And that very um, first encounter from the very first person yeah yeah exactly so it was just it was just bad choices that had kind of mounted up as well but um bad choices it's the people like they they, you know that's it's not bad choices it's the people who shouldn't be practicing yeah no it's very true it's very very true because it's I mean it's a sort of like get into other jobs and don't love them but it seems like a weird industry to get into if it's not something that you love Mm. um but the birth with the forceps, I experienced a third degree tear. So it was a pretty nasty tear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I felt like I felt scared of my own body then. I felt scared to walk or to go to the toilet. And um, every movement, it felt like something terrible was going to happen to my body. So I was really shaky in my own body as well. Um, and I remember being shocked by postpartum that that initial that raw 48 hours of your milk coming in and you know you're still bleeding and you know your belly is wobbly but there's no baby in there and feeling empty and like all of that raw postpartum I was in no way prepared for it it just it took the wind out of my sails I was like what on earth has happened like what on earth has happened to my body and now I have to look after this baby and what on earth so it was just I found it very very overwhelming um so we got home and in France regardless of how long you stay in the hospital or what mode of delivery a midwife comes to your house for five days after you give birth so they come to check on you um, and then somebody else comes for the baby so the midwife visits are just for you. There's a, a PMI, which is like a health visitor, comes for the baby. But the That's midwife amazing. is for you. It's so good. Honestly, mm. it's so good. They check your stitches. They check your breasts if you're feeding um, to make sure that that's going okay. Your temperature, like if you need a help having a wash, anything like that, they're there to support you. It's fantastic. Um, so the fantastic midwife who had written my fit to fly, um, she was our at-home care. So she came out to the house and she got one look at me in the bed and I burst out crying. And she was like, okay. She was like, you're not okay. And I was like, no, I'm really not okay. I'm really, really not okay. I feel like I've been hit by a bus. And Ugo was dressed immaculately. You know, I had the matching hat on and the matching bib. Everything looked perfect, but I was like this shell shock in the bed. So she checked my stitches and she was on the phone with her colleague. She she kind of took a look at them. She's like, okay, I'm just going to call a colleague. I just need some advice. And obviously forgetting that while I didn't speak French, I understood enough when she was on the phone to her colleague, she was like, oh God, like they've made, they've made a mess of her. And I was like, oh my God, like just what next? Like, um, and she was like, look, they've given you stitches where you shouldn't really have stitches and it's probably restricting your movement. So I'm going to clip a few out here. And I was like, okay, just do, do what you need to do, you know? Um, and I was really jitter. I, again, another thing I wasn't prepared for, but I was really sweaty, really, really like lactation sweats. I was just, the sweat was pouring off me. I was really, really shaky. I felt really hot. 
And she was like, okay, she was like, I want to take your temperature at a slight temperature. And she was like, okay, look, with those stitches and my fear would be infection setting in. So I just want to keep an eye on this. And then she was examining my breasts and my breasts were like two melons. And she was like, okay, when was the last time you fed your baby? And I said, oh, I fed him like an hour ago. And she was like, and how long did he feed for? And she did all the checks and she was like, how are you feeding him? And she saw that I was feeding him with a nipple shield. And she was like, okay, the nipple shields can be great, but they can also stop milk transferring properly. So it seems that you've got the onset of mastitis. So we need to get this milk out. Like I had no idea that my breasts were not supposed to be like two melons, that they were supposed to soften a little bit after feeds. And I had no idea about that. So we couldn't get Ugo latched on even with the shield that night. So she was like, okay, we'll express it out. We'll give it to him on a spoon or in a bottle. So she sat, I sat at the kitchen table and she sat with my breasts in two jugs of hot water. And she was like massaging and manually removing the milk. And I just sat crying and she was like, just rubbing my back. She's like, it's going to be okay. I promise it's not going to look like this forever. It is, you're going to be okay. But it really was, yeah, it was, it was tough. Those first few weeks were really, really, really tough. Um, but I got a lactation consultant, um, an Irish woman, no less, um, who used to be midwife in Hollis Street. So she is a pillar of the Irish community over here. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely fantastic. So she came out to the house and she was like, OK, let's see what we can do with this little lad to get him feeding a bit more efficiently. Um, so because of the birth with the forceps, he had developed a torticollis in his neck. So his neck was fixed on one side. There was a big ball, kind of muscle ball. Um, he had his palate had been put out of line, his jaw had been misaligned and he wow. had a uh, restricted movement. So actually he couldn't latch. He couldn't turn his head to latch effectively. And they don't um, check for this when they're discharging you from the hospital. No, God, off we that were damage sent. and don't check. Oh my yeah. God. So my stitches were botched and he was yeah. sent out with his face and neck and all sorts of shape um, to fend for ourselves like but yeah. um so a combination of osteo and physio for Ugo but that went on for about six or seven months to put that right so the torticollis was so bad it took a good six or seven months um and we had to remain feeding with the nipple shield because he could never his latch was never never right because of the restriction but we fed for eight months with the nipple shield so it worked but mm. again I was given education to know that if he's not empty in the breast you need to find a way to get that milk moving out otherwise it's going to get stagnant and just information that I didn't have you know I was given the shield and kind of taken off the ward so Diana got me really the LC she got me really up to speed with knowledge um and she was fantastic she was absolutely fantastic so it wasn't the smoothest breastfeeding journey definitely not um but we got there so I finished up feeding him when he was eight months. And I remember being devastated because I was thinking, I don't think I'll ever find the courage to feed another baby after that. I think that's kind of my one and only, you know, my maiden voyage and my final, my final round. And so I was really sad to let it go, but proud as well of, of having made it that far, despite the (laughs) bumps in the road. Um, And how did you feel physically? Did you need physio or any support there? Yeah. Yeah. So again, here, another great, uh, thing that they offer women is after birth um women are entitled to um perineal physio as much as they need and abdominal physio as well um so to work on any kind of diastasis recti or split muscles um and then to strengthen up the pelvic floor as well so regardless of your delivery regardless of kind of the shape you're in afterwards every woman gets that so i did it's fantastic it's fantastic 
Um, so I did that with the midwife, the community midwife. So she's trained in perineal physio. So I did that with her. Um, and again, that probably took me 10 months, I'd say, um, to get kind of comfortable because I was left with, I guess, this feeling, this like dragon feeling, real like a heavy a heaviness. And um, the risk with third degree tears is that, you know, it can cause, you know, more pressing issues like incontinence and sexual dysfunction and everything. So thankfully, I dodged all of those bullets and it was more about just being comfortable um but she was brilliant for that so I went and I did that with her for yeah many many months but but it worked and it was fine and but yeah it was it was it was tough and I think looking back now I think I probably had a touch of undiagnosed postnatal anxiety or postnatal depression or because I wasn't me I wasn't me at all and I felt very incompetent as a mom for a long 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 time like I felt like I had massive imposter syndrome doing the basics like changing a nappy and you know kind of like if anyone sees me it'll be taken away from me because I'll get caught out that I'm not doing this right or and I think so much of that stemmed from just the first steps into motherhood not that they go easy for everyone because I think most women probably have a few hurdles in the first few weeks and months but it just felt like the first few steps were so unsteady and that it really set the tone for a difficult transition into motherhood. It's it's such a contrast. The support that you got outside of the hospital care mm-hmm. was amazing. But yet the mm-hmm. hospital, which is supposed to be tier three, which is supposed to be their jam to look after people who have these experiences and they just let you down massively. Massively, massively. And but I think yeah, for them, maybe, I just yeah. look like a very straightforward case. You know, there yeah. was nothing hugely wrong with us you know except for you know my you know perceived incompetence but there was nothing wrong in terms of on paper we were both fine you know but I think there's there's being fine on paper and then there's looking at a mom and being like okay are we really setting this woman up for success or are we letting a very fragile woman leave this hospital knowing that you know she may not be okay um but yeah but thankfully I, I guess the one the good thing that came out of it all is that it made us aware for any future situations that we would make better choices and we would take the time to do our homework and not to kind of run into a decision, whether it's for the care provider or anything else that we would, you know, surround ourselves with the best people because already over here, we don't have the village, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, it, it made even more sense for us to have the right people around us for our care. Do you want to talk us through your next pregnancy? Yeah. So we, when Ugo was about two and a half, then we were like, look, it probably, you know, it could be time for us to start thinking about trying again. Um, Let's adopt the same approach we did the last time. Let's, you know, try not to try kind of thing. Um, Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. But I think that I was, we were both kind of lured into a false sense of security that because it happened so easy, that it would be really easy and we'd get pregnant. It would be lovely and there'd be a baby here in nine months. So we did get pregnant very quickly. Um, again, very similar to Ugo. I just had a feeling I was pregnant Um, did the test and I was. It was a very, very faint line. So we were, you know, scared. How are we going to manage to? But we'll be fine and excited. Um, and then very quickly then very very soon after that then we had um, a miscarriage I won't go into the the, the losses in too much detail because I know I've spoke um, on them before um, I'll tag I'll actually link um, that episode in the show notes here for people who want to listen back yeah okay perfect um so yeah so that pregnancy I went I noticed that I was bleeding and I went into the public hospital um where I was very very much dismissed to be like how many weeks are you why are you here? Like this happens all the time, go home and, you know, try again next month. So it was very, very dismissive approach to a very early pregnancy loss. And um, which for me, like it wasn't just a few weeks pregnant, it was our second baby. And I really, you know, we, it was a very, very tough. It hit us very, very hard. That first loss hit us very, very hard. And um, we got pregnant again, then not the next cycle, but the cycle after that. And the same thing happened again. So we weren't getting to the stage of there being a heartbeat present. So we were getting to around the six week mark um, and then the pregnancies were falling away. Um, so the second miscarriage, I chose to manage it at home. I just kept an eye on my bloods in the labs for 72 hours to make sure that the HCG was falling um, because I really wanted to avoid going back near a hospital because the the care, the care um, for the last miscarriage had been so crap that I was like look we'll just manage this at home if if we can and I contacted an obstetrician and she said yeah if you're not having any you know any huge side effects but come in and see me in, in a week or so and we'll just make sure that there's nothing there so the second one was a lot easier for me to process than the first one um, and it kind of made us have a chat about well what might our future look like maybe we will just have one child and will we be okay with that and we were, we really were. We were like, look, this is obviously what's for us. Um, I remember I, you saying that to me. That's why I, I only discovered you were pregnant when you were a couple of months into your pregnancy. And I was like, what? I was not expecting this. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> me neither but uh it's because we really had we had really like because after the first miscarriage I got very bitter and angry and depressed and I saw sides of myself that I didn't like like jealousy about other women's pregnancy and stuff and I really I hated to see myself like that because I'm not that kind of person yeah and so after the second one, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to become that woman. I don't want to live my life trying to get pregnant and it not working and just being angry and not being able to celebrate anybody else. And I just, I don't want that for myself. And we deserve more than that as a couple. So no, if it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So the obstetrician who I'd went to see just after the second law said, look, it might be worth running your bloods just to see if there's anything going on there doesn't have to doesn't mean you have to go down any kind of routes or start trying in any other ways but just make sure that your levels of everything are okay that you're not lacking anything that there's no thyroid issues things that might maybe impact other aspects of your life not just your fertility so we decided that we would do the fertility test because obviously here the health all healthcare is covered. So it, you know, we weren't going to be put out huge amounts of pocket or waiting loads of time and all these tests. It was just something we could do quite simply. So we said we would. So one of the markers came back, my um, AMH levels, which as far as I know, they're one component of a bigger spectrum, but they can be a bit of an indicator of as to a woman's, you know, reproductive health. Um, and one of my markers, my um, AMH level was really, really, really low. So she was like, look, again IVF is covered here it's paid for here if you need to go down that route um but because of that they're quite selective as to who gets it so she was like look you're not a candidate for, I or for IVF because your egg supply is so low your reserve your ovarian reserve is so low and the eggs are of low quality that ethically if they try and stimulate you to get all your eggs in one go, they could technically kick you into an early menopause because they might take everything you've got in one swoop. So you're not a candidate for okay. um, IVF. So it will either happen naturally or it won't. And looking at your ovarian reserve, I wouldn't be overly hopeful for you guys. So, and there was not, but most importantly, there was nothing wrong. They didn't find any anything wrong with me, so to speak. So myself and my husband were like, oh, you know, it's disappointing to hear that, but we kind of had made peace with things anyway it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter and we you know we put the results in, in an envelope and put them away and we didn't really think about them anymore and we kind of just moved on with things then and we had you know the three of us settled into life and you know we got a little dog because or we put our name down for our little dog because that was going to be the the final member of the family and uh, we moved apartment and we chose a, an apartment that would be perfect for the three of us and we just, you know, we let things off. And then it was October time of last year that um, I was still producing milk. And initially they thought maybe the, it was residual milk from um, Ugo, or then it was like, it was been too long. Maybe it was milk that because of the hormones of the miscarriages, maybe it was something to do with that. So they started to do a bit of investigations to see what was going on. And my prolactin levels were a little bit high. So to do some tests, they were like, okay, look, you need to check your pro, we need to check your bloods on this particular time of every month just to see if there's something going on. Sometimes it just happens to women and there's no reason, but it's better to keep an eye on it. So um I was doing tests. So I knew I had to keep an eye on my period so I could know when to then go and get my bloods done. Okay. Other than that, I wouldn't have even have known when my period was coming, if it was coming, anything. Oh, that's what's going on. Did your was your period a bit more regular at that stage? Like clockwork. 
after having you go like clockwork um so that kind of was like oh okay I'll my period hasn't come that's weird okay um and then I kind of got this feeling that kind of familiar feeling and I was like initially I was thinking oh god no please like don't 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 let me be pregnant because I don't want to go through all of that again um and I was a little bit nervous about it and I didn't say to my husband that I was going to take a test um I just did it for myself um and I took the test and I was pregnant and the first feeling it wasn't like pacing the floor excited or it was just like I got this dread like this dread in the pit of my stomach I was like oh god here we go again you know we're so stupid how did we let this happen you know we've just got to a place where we're really comfortable with the three of us and we've just accepted that we're not going to have any more and now we're possibly going to have to go through all this again and and so I was really fearful and I said it to my husband and he was like look let's just not talk about it and let's just see what happens let's just kind of forget that we've done the test obviously don't you know be sensible but like let's just kind of forget about it and see what happens and so that's what we did so we buried our head in the sand um, for a while and we got to about what would have been about seven weeks and I'd had a bit of cramping and I was like, okay, this is it now. Here we go. This is it. And I was like, look, I'm going to do a scan just to see, because if there's nothing in there, like the last time, and I'm just waiting for this to happen, then I just, I, I need to know. I don't just want to hang in limbo. So we went to do an early pregnancy scan to see, and there was a little heartbeat and mm. it was, oh, I suppose that moment of being so excited but then also knowing this is still so early and so many people get to this stage and it still doesn't guarantee a baby at the end. And I think as you know yourself, when you've experienced a pregnancy loss, you do become acutely aware that that one in four statistic, it's actually real women. It's not a magical statistic. It's real and it happens. And I think it kind of kills a little bit of the magic of pregnancy in the sense that there's well, not absolutely. that kind yeah. of innocent excitement about it anymore or something. Um, and so we were skeptical. Um, but, and I was kind of like, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. And I remember the morning of the 12 week scan, I just had a breakdown in the shower and I just bawled and bawled and bawled. And I think I cried for not only the anxiety I felt, about that pregnancy but also maybe the tears I didn't cry for the second miscarriage I just it all just all came out and the realization I really want this baby and I really hope this works this time and I you know just it all came out I think it was really cathartic as well I think I needed to ball you know um so we went to our 12-week scan and everything was perfect Mm -hmm. and he was there and it was just oh it was amazing and she had a really good view and she was like look it's really hard to tell this earlier on but I think I know what this baby is if you want to know and I had this huge feeling because the last two miscarriages happened so early we never knew what they were we never had a photo they never had a name and that really bugged me so this time I was like yes what is it I want to name them I you know I wanted this one to feel real because the other two felt like just notions that had been robbed from us kind of thing so she said it looks like a little boy so we knew then his name was Elliot that's who he was no matter what happened here from here on out like that's who he was so we were delighted with ourselves um and then the next day 
my husband got a call from my midwife and um, she called him to kind of know how what was the best way to tell me so in France they do monthly checks on your blood for several things um one of which is toxoplasmosis so it is a parasitic infection that a lot of people have immunity for they've contracted at some point in their life it's pretty much asymptomatic for an adult you wouldn't even know that you had it but for developing babies in the womb it can be fatal so it is found in soil in cat's poo in like weird shows up in weird places but like there's a real thing over here like pregnant women here wouldn't want to eat salad for example they wouldn't touch salad on their plate for fear that the particles of soil might be on the salad and that they'll catch this toxo stuff so it's a real red flag over here and you're if you're screened for it initially if you have immunity for it then they check your levels of immunity to see if it's an historic infection or recent. If it's historic, you're fine. They don't test you for it again because your body's immune. But if it's been a recent infection, then there's a risk that it's crossed over to your baby. So I had this toxoplasmosis and it was a recent infection. So she had got the blood work and she was like, look, you know, obviously Sean has been through a lot. Do you want me to break this news to her or do you want to to tell this to her because from here on in now her pregnancy there's going to be a lot of invasive testing and and the outlook may not be the best so Luke was like okay I'll tell her so this was one day after the 12 week scan we just felt we could breathe so my husband sat on it for a day or two just being like how do I tell her this probably trying to find the words even to accept it himself so he told me and we then called uh, my midwife and said, look, okay, we're aware of the situation. What's the next steps? And she said, look, I'm still going to be your primary care. So sorry, that's another thing. This time around, my primary choice of care was community midwife until my 32nd week, at which point I would transfer to hospital care and um, midwife led care um, in a tier one hospital. So mm-hmm. we made that choice this time around and so uh, my midwife was like look I can still be your primary carer however I'm gonna have to do that in conjunction with a high-risk hospital because now you are high risk because of this toxo so you're gonna have to have meetings with them and then come to me for kind of the everyday checks and and things like that so we went to a hospital called NECA and they are tier three and they're actually leaders in the field of research around toxo. So I guess if you're going to have toxo, it's the hospital that you want to be treated in because they're they're leaders in this field. It's one of their primary specialties of care as well. So we had a meeting with the, the, the consultant and then he came with a midwife. So they were a really good tag team. He was a very classic consultant, very dry personality, very, very to the point. Um, you know, not very fluffy, just factual and to the point. And then the midwife was with him and she was very holistic and lovely and there for the hug. So they were actually made quite a good team. And he was a very nice doctor, but he was very, very to the point. So it was nice that he had kind of his sidekick there with him. And so they basically talked us through the risk. So the risk with Toxo is that if you contract it early in your pregnancy, there is a smaller risk so there's about a 15% risk that it will transfer to your baby however if it does it's at its most fatal because it's a parasite that attacks the brain so because the fetus is so delicate at that stage it can do the most damage 
Whereas if you contract Toxo late in your pregnancy, there's about a 75% um, transfer rate, but it tends to be very, very mild. And, okay. you know, it, it might be a very small um, issue. But the majority of babies who do contract it in the first trimester end up with lots and lots and lots of complications, severe complications. Um, and the only way to know for sure if the baby has it is a combination of a third trimester scan or a second trimester scan and an amniocentesis at 18 weeks. Um, and at which point then they leave the window for ter- medical termination um, open until 22 weeks. So they were kind of giving us this information and, and like we were sitting there and we were taking it in, but we were like, what on earth is this conversation? Like it's just a conversation we never expected to be privy to. And so off we went anyway with our leaflets and our booklets and our rates and percentages. And I suppose what it did though was force us as a couple to have a conversation we never thought we'd have, which is, well, actually, what would we do? Like, you know, what are, what is your view on this? And we both agreed that difficult and all a decision it would be to make we weren't going to bring a baby into the world that was going to be in such poor condition and you know unable to care for themselves and you know be on machines for the rest of their lives however long that was and that we just couldn't do that so we were kind of like okay so now we have to rewind to the state we were in prior to the 12-week scan which is let's not even talk about this pregnancy again because maybe again we're going to get excited for nothing and so it kind of put us in a bit of a limbo. Um, the doctor who performed the amniocentesis, um, he said, look, I know the word amniocentesis can be really scary and people assume it's this horrific procedure. He's like, actually, as, as sensitive and scary as it sounds for you, for me as a doctor, it's my daily routine. I do these all the time. And the success rate was really high. And he was like, you don't need to worry. Like, you know, I've got this and you've got this and you'll be fine. But it is the one, the one way to be sure. Um, that the baby does or, or doesn't have this thing. So I we opted to have it because we wanted to know. So we had to have the amniocentesis done at 18 weeks. So the procedure was fine. It was straightforward. It's pretty uncomfortable, but not painful. Um, you have an option to watch the camera. If you want to see the needle going in, I couldn't. I was just, I looked the other way. Um, the midwife who was there or... The, the tech who was there with him was so nice. Like she was rubbing my hair. She's like, it's okay. It's all right. And your baby looks lovely and he's flying around in there. And, you know, she was just really reassuring. Um, Do you want to talk us through the procedure quickly, just for those um, of course. who don't understand? Yeah. So the amniocentesis um, is really where they go in with a needle um, through the belly um, and they collect a sample of the amniotic fluid. So it can be diagnostic for things like um, trisomy, uh, diagnostic for toxoplasmosis or parasitic infections. Um, there's a few other things, but it's really the only way to know if it's the only way to really confirm. And normally it partners with um, an ultrasound as a diagnostic tool. Um, so it's done between, I think, 18 weeks and 22 weeks. Um, and the procedure is done kind of within an operating environment. So it's a sterile environment. There is the doctor who's performing it and then one or two techs in to assist. And the whole process, it lasted maybe, God, the actual needle part, I want to say 30 seconds max. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
the prep and stuff around is a couple more minutes, but it's really, really quick. Um, and it's not painful. It's just uncomfortable. I think a lot of the uncomfort comes from the fact that you're acutely aware of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not painful. Um, so afterwards, then I was put on bed rest. You're put on bed rest for about 72 hours because that's it's within those 72 hours that if it's going to cause a miscarriage, that's at the highest risk. So really you're put on bed rest for about 72 hours afterwards. Um, and then you're obviously looking out for things like leaking amniotic fluid and, and bits like that. But thankfully there was nothing like that. I had no twinges, I had no pains, nothing. Um, now, obviously I was on tender hooks for 72 hours, but I, yeah. you know, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. Um, and then the results take about 10 days to two weeks. So it's a bit of a wait. Um, but we were calling every day from about seven days, every single day to find out if the, if the results had come in. And my husband was on the phone and I assumed this was about day eight or day nine. And I assumed we were still too early and I could see that he was on the phone and he was like mimicking to be like, okay, actually they've just received their, their bloods in for this morning. Okay. They've got yours. Okay. Just wait. And my God, it was awful. We were pacing the floor. And then my husband just broke down crying on the phone and he was like, thumbs up, thumbs up. So it was immense. Like the relief was, it kind of felt, it felt a bit like we just found out that day we were pregnant. Yeah. Do you know, it was like, let's forget the 20 weeks or 19 weeks that have passed. And like, we really started, I felt our pregnancy really started on that day. Um, the relief was just immense absolutely immense um and really from then on it was an amazing pregnancy there was no scares there was no again I had loads of energy until the end obviously the end I was a bit tired because it's obviously the first pregnancy you take for granted how you can just lavish yourself up on the sofa and take naps (laughs) and like mind yourself yeah whereas the second pregnancy with another kid is just (laughs) There is no time. Like on one hand, it's great because the pregnancy flies and like there's no dragon, but there is absolutely no time for self-care. Like it's just, it's nuts. Um, But it was a really lovely time. Like I really enjoyed it and I relished it and realized just how lucky we were and I didn't take it for granted. And it was just, it was so lovely. And I was very lucky in that regard on all occasions. I, you know, I never had sickness or, you know, anything. So really, really lucky. Um, and no pajama labor. And it's so funny because with Ugo, I would have been like counting kicks and I would have been, you know, whereas the second one, I was like, no, like everything's okay. Have I felt the baby move today? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. Do you know, I suppose all the, the bad stuff that happened at the beginning could have sent me a bit batty with paranoia, but it actually didn't. I was like, everything bad that can happen, I think has happened. And it was just very chilled. It was very, very relaxed. Um, And I had decided this time that I wanted to do a bit more preparation. That's going to be my next question. Yeah. Preparation wise, um, what route did you take? So I knew I wanted to be midwife led care um, because I built up such a good relationship with my midwife from the last time and from this time. I knew her so well. Mm. And so I wanted to be under her for primary care. We were released then from the the special hospital. Then Mm. we were released back down to our, our public hospital once everything came back fine. Um, and there I had my, so from 32 weeks, I was going there for my, my hospital care, but then I still had my midwife on the side as well. So in the hospital, it was an obstetrician I was seeing. And I was always, you know, I was quite 
open to any mode of delivery. I just didn't want to be fearful about birth. So I had no problem with someone saying, you know what, you, for the sake of the baby or yourself, a section is better, or we feel this, or we feel that I had no problem with that. I just wanted to be informed about why this was the better option and given tools to manage it Mm -hmm. and to be just to not have fear. That's all I wanted was not to be so terrified of what was going to happen. And because of my tear, there definitely was a period of time where I was considering electing for a section because with a third degree tear, that's an option for a lot of women. Um, just to, I guess, maybe minimize the chance of further uh, trauma to the pelvic floor. So, you know, some women do go down that option. And I really assumed that that's the option I was going to take. Um, that that was going to be, anything was going to be better than the delivery and recovery I had the first time. So that's kind of where my head was at. And then the more time passed and the more I realized, actually, you're not just giving birth, you're going through major surgery. So it's not really a decision to take as lightly as that or to just assume it's going to be easier. Um, And the more time I spent talking to my midwife and the physiotherapist as well, the more I realized, look, your first birth does not indicate how your second birth is going to go. And there are so many factors that went into my first delivery being as traumatic as what it was that are now removed from it this time and plus my body has done the work so like you know my first baby paved the way so to speak so you know it there's a lot of differences and for the second time around so that really gave me confidence that my body could do this um, and it didn't have to look the way it looked the first time so I decided to do like a gentle birthing course for not with any one vision of my birth in mind and like I know some women are brilliant at like like paint in the scene of what they want and like have really set ideas about what they want. For me, it wasn't so much that it was more, I don't want to be fearful. I want to feel empowered and I want to feel knowledgeable after that. It can look however it looks, but those were the big pillars for me that I wanted. And this time around. So I did that birthing course with an amazing instructor who was actually in the middle of getting her certification. So she was looking for guinea pigs. And I was, you know, I was like, okay, I'm more than happy to do that. And she was delighted to have me as her case study. So she was an Irish woman as well. So I had two Irish women on my team over here, which was brilliant. Um, And she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So human. She knew I was a bit kind of a bit cynical at the beginning about hypnobirthing and a little bit like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can get into this and if I can get my headspace into this. So she made it so easy to relate to. And she was like, you know, let's not, you know, you you don't need to focus on what you think it shouldn't be. Let's just focus on what makes you comfortable. Let's make this, you know, approachable for you, digestible for you. So it was so lovely working with her. She was so good. And she knew the fear that I had around the birth. Um, And I guess the trauma of between the miscarriages and then everything with the talk. So kind of, I almost wanted to keep, Elliot inside for fear of what would happen when he came out so there was almost this I could be pregnant forever and not release him into the world because he's fine here like he's okay in here and she really worked with me about that as well so she was brilliant she was absolutely brilliant and she showed me gorgeous videos of birth give me loads of like lovely visualizations but ones that I could manage you know ones that I could actually wrap my head around yeah Um, because that takes work it takes a lot of work to be able to visualize well, for me, anyway, I, I found it really does 
Me too. Me too. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't easily get my mind into that space where I could relax enough for that to happen. I mm. too much of a thinker of a stressor of an, you know, and she was brilliant. And even like, I found even the, just the breathing exercises, learning to like drop my shoulders because it all made me realize, you know, I'm a really stressed person. I kind of live life like this, you know? So even just learning how to just relax um, and breathe, the importance of breath work as well. Like, again, when I look at my first, my first experience, I was panting, like fearfully panting. Yeah. Whereas, you know, just learning how to breathe, such a simple but effective tool as well. So I was doing the camber thing. I was going to a osteo to work on my um, kind of the release in my pelvis and just to give me a bit more movement a bit because I was quite restricted, quite tense in the pelvis as well. So I was working on that. Um, and then in addition, my midwife had put me in contact with a doula who I was seeing for pregnancy massage and her her whole, I guess her whole um she would come to the house and lay out the house as though it was a parlor and like it was gorgeous and she'd do the rebozo and the hips and it was all just to relax the body because I felt like it'd been holding trauma and tension and stress in my body for years and it was like okay let's just loosen me up and um, as much as possible so that I can get into that kind of zone of being relaxed it's and it was amazing so nice to hear how well you treated yourself and I really did yeah it's <laughs> so nice to hear it's brilliant and it's how we should all treat ourselves throughout our pregnancy I love it yeah it's amazing yeah I just it was one of those things it was like you know what I don't and I think as moms as well it's like every cent I have goes to the kids or goes yeah. to the house or yeah. you know and I'm not someone who gets my nails done and gets my hair done I'm not like that so I, I was like when was the last time I've actually done something for me and something this important like it's 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 important because I don't know if I could survive that kind of trauma twice around so it's really important so and my husband was amazing he was really cheering me on he was like look whatever you need to do and however this birth needs to look for you I'm behind you so he was brilliant um so then one thing I was really worried about that I obviously worry I didn't have the first time was my little boy Hugo. I was like, what happens when we go to the hospital? Who's going to keep him? Where is he yeah. going to go? I don't want him to be scared. And, you know, I was had that worry of what would happen to him. So we decided that my sister would come over from home and spend the last couple of weeks of the pregnancy here with us. And it was amazing. It was like having a doula in the house. Like she was like, bringing me snacks and we were you know in the evening we were chilling out watching stranger things it was on at the time and like we were just like this little team and my son has an amazing relationship with my sister he absolutely loves her so I knew that neither day if we had to run she'd be here he would be fine it would be great so that was a huge relief when she came here I was like okay the baby can come when he wants because mm. I just felt really safe and uh, really really safe so we I'm trying to remember now when Elliot, yeah. So it was the the day of the 5th of June. Again, I was having no tingles. So totally different to the first time. I had one pain. I was so convinced I was going to go over because I wasn't having anything, no sensation, nothing. Um, But the day before he came, I got really restless on that evening. And I woke up in the middle of the night with a little bit of discomfort, like a tiny, teeny bit of discomfort. Um, and my sister was on the sofa bed in our living room 
because we're in a two bedroom apartment. So there was no actual room for me to go into. So I just went into the bathroom with my yoga ball and a cup of tea. And I sat bouncing away on my yoga ball and having a cup of tea. And then I needed to go to the loo. And I was like, oh, that's what that pain was. I must have just needed the loo. So didn't register for a second that sometimes going to the loo can be a sign that something's going to happen. But that wasn't in my head. So I went to bed and I fell into the deepest, loveliest, dreamless sleep for about three or four hours. And I woke up and just like with Ugo, I jumped out of bed because I felt this kind of internal pop and the water went again, Hollywood style in the room. And the contrast was just so different. Like I like shook my husband really gently and I was like, my water is just gone. And he was like, okay, I'll go out and put on breakfast. What do you want? And I was like, well, I think I'd have this. It was like choosing my last meal or something. You know, like, and he went out to like lay out breakfast and I text my midwife. I was like, Fanny, my water is just broke. And she was like, oh, that's amazing. Now just take your time before you get to the hospital and do your bits. And I came in and I woke up my sister. All the while the gushes were still splashing out onto the apartment floor. I was like, I was so zen I wasn't zen. stressed yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't panicked I was kind of like oh, cool the baby might come today you know but it was like it was just so night and day so night and day and kind of the fear I had of running out of the house and Ugo waking it up and us not being here like we all sat around the table and ate breakfast and I explained to him that you know mama was going to the hospital because it was time for his little brother to come and we prepared like a big brother box for him that had a letter to him from me and my husband and a little book and stuff like that. And we got to give him the little box and, and I got to leave the house. Like everything was in its place. Like I got to leave the house really, everything at home is fine. And let's just go now. And even the guy, it was like the stars were aligned for us that morning because even the guy that picked us up in the taxi got really emotional about the fact that I was going to have a baby. And like, he was full of the joys of spring for us. So you set set him up for the day as well, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was just, it was such a lovely journey. And like, we didn't talk much in the car. I put in my, my gentle birth in track. Um, but my husband was holding my hand and it was just, there was no panic. There was no fear. There was, it was just really, really lovely. Um, and we arrived at the hospital and in the hospital, they have a birth and a natural, uh, a birth and suite designed for women who are trying for non-medicated birth. So I had said that, look, I might go for the epidural again, but I know that I need to be without it for as long as possible if I want this baby to move down. So I'm not saying I'm not going to have it. Um, but I would like to be in a space to help me be mobile for as long as possible first. So I don't just want to be thrown up in the bed like the last time. So they, that room was available. So in that room, there was a birthing tub and a ball. And then there was like inserts in the ceiling for hanging a scarf. So you could like swing and all that kind of stuff. This was a great room, really, really nice, lovely natural light and everything was lovely. And so we got set up in there. And at this point, they checked me. They, I had said on my notes, I didn't want to be checked too much, but it's funny on the day how things can change. All I wanted was to be checked then and to know where I was at. So she checked and she was like, okay, look, you're only at a two um, for the moment. She was like, no, that can change. But for the moment you're at a two, but the issue is, is that your water has gone and your baby's up really, really high. Um, so the fear, and she was like, I don't want to, I don't want to scare you, but any language, I'm just letting you know where we're at with this as well. The worry if the baby is up too high and the water has been gone is that there is can be a 
prolapse of the cord. So that's a risk. So she was like, really, we'd want to see baby starting to make his way down in the next couple of hours. She's like, I'm not putting you on a clock. It's nothing like that. But we would want to see baby starting to come down. Otherwise, we'll need to talk about options to get baby moving. Now, I had said that I really didn't want to go through an induction process and that if it ever came to a decision like that, I would rather an elective cesarean because I just would prefer the calm. I wanted calm after all the drama and running around for the last one. I was like, no, if it needs to come to that, we'll have an elective cesarean, get baby out easily and smooth and calm. I don't want inductions and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather not. So she's like, look, we're not there yet. Let's just go into the room there, get your music on, get moving, get on the ball, use all the equipment in there. Um, and we'll be into you as much or as little as you need us. And the midwife who was working that day actually knew hypnobirth. And so every time she was doing any kind of checks on me, she was like, now I'm wrapping a red velvet blanket around your tummy. Mm-hmm. It's really warm. And like she was talking me through everything. She was absolutely fantastic. And she was really supportive and had our notes that the last time was really tough and stuff. So she was really gentle, really kind, really respectful and didn't lay a finger on me without asking. And, you know, just so, so lovely. Um, so we got into the room and then. I kind of noticed there was a little bit of an increase in sensation. Um, and I was like, okay, I want to be checked. And I was like, are you sure? I thought you said you didn't want anyone checking you. I was like, I want to be checked. So they came back in and they checked and they were like, okay, great. You're at a four and baby is coming down. Perfect. This is absolutely perfect. This is what we wanted to see. You're doing great. Off you go. So it felt like, oh yeah, she was like, up until baby started to move down, they couldn't put me in the tub because of the risk of the prolapse. But they're like, now the baby's coming down, do you want access to the water pool? I was like, yes, please. Great. So she must have left the room, I'd say about a few minutes, like a few, few minutes. And I was like, oh, feck that. I don't want the tub. I want an epidural. I, I really, really want the epidural. And it came out of nowhere. And it was like, what? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, no, I definitely need it. I definitely need it. I really want it. And it was like, okay, I'm just, are you sure that's what you want? I was like, yes, that's what I want. Go and get it, bring it on. So he's like, okay, I'll go in a few minutes. So at this point I'd been using the Rebozo. I had found that I was really comfortable sitting on the birth ball, leaning over the bed with my legs kind of open and kind of pushing all my press or pushing down on the bed mm-hmm. and walking and kind of swaying. Um, but it really felt like in the space of minutes, it went from being manageable. I was very quiet as well. I was very, very quiet versus the last time panting and stuff. I was really calm, but I seemed to have went from totally comfortable and manageable to, I actually can't do this. Like get, get the epidural in here now. So Luca went to get the, the nurse and she came in. She's like, okay, you want to have the epidural? I said, I do. And she's like, okay, well, we can't administer that to you in this room. So we just need you to step across the corridor into the delivery suite. The anesthesiologist will be here. So we're all, we'll get set up for you. You can have it in two minutes. You just need to make your way across the corridor. So I was like, okay, I can do that. So, and I mean, it was across the corridor. So I walked out of the room and into the delivery suite. And as soon as I stepped foot into the delivery suite, I was like, I need to push. And she was like, okay, well, just come over to the bed. I just want to check. Do I have your permission to check? And I was like, yes, please check. And she's like, okay, you're crowning. We can ah. like, deliver this baby now. It's like, what? That's <laughs> so what I, it was. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. That, that slight discomfort. But like, yeah, yeah. it's mad. And like, I was like, what? And then I was like, so where's my epidural? And she's like, no, we don't need no. to worry about that. Now. Baby is coming. Like baby's coming. So I had said um, that I didn't want to be on my back if at all possible. So when I went up, I went onto my side, um, onto the bed. 
and uh, the midwife gave me kind of her hand for me to push my foot against kind of for leverage so I was pushing and I was kind of straining and she was amazing she was like okay you're gonna hurt your pelvic floor like that so what I want you to imagine now is a candle imagine that you've almost blown the candle out and then bring it back to life again and just keep blowing like that and she was amazing just whispering in my ear you're doing really well you push when you need to push and the one thing I'd been so scared about was not the labor because I knew if I really need medication, I can have pain meds. And, you know, I've done this breathing prep, but I was really scared about the delivery because that's where things went really crazy and chaotic the first time. So I was really scared about the actual delivery of the baby and him getting stuck or me not being able to push or whatever. And then when it actually came to it, I didn't get the sensation of the ring of fire, which I'm a bit disappointed about, actually, because I was kind of curious to see what that would feel like. But I didn't get that sensation. But um, but I did get this unbelievable sense of satisfaction pushing. I found the pushing really satisfying. It was like, I don't know, it was like because I could feel him moving down, which is a sensation I didn't have the first time. So I knew what I was doing was working and that he was coming and it was just it was such an amazing feeling and then the midwife said if you want to put your hand down there now you can feel your baby's head so I put my hand down and that kind of gave me the energy then to just do the last couple of pushes and then they said okay if you want you can put your hands down now and catch your baby and I put my hands down and I pulled him up onto my chest and it was just oh my god it was the highest high I have ever had in my life and like again my husband very kindly videoed the thing and I'm laughing and if someone had told me when I was lying there broken after the first time that actually if you did this again there's a chance you're going to be laughing and feel so euphoric and it was just it was magic it was absolutely magic like I wanted to do it again immediately like it felt so (laughs) good and I felt so strong and empowered and it was just such a different experience it was just such a night and day experience and I would have been a bit eye-rolly about anyone who said that birth can be enjoyable I would have been a bit like you know whatever but it really was it was incredible and it was a few choices it was having the right people around us it was having a little bit of education going in it was and it made a world of difference. I'm not saying you can still all do, you know, do all those things and things can still happen on the day, of course. But for me, it just made a world of difference. It was amazing. And they were so respectful of all the wishes. Like they had skin to skin. He stayed. They didn't really take him for ages. Um, and any checks they did, they did while he was still on me. They took the time to make sure that he latched in in the delivery suite. They were like, you don't have flat nipples. Why were you given? Like they couldn't understand why any of what had happened before had happened. Mm. Um, they were amazed. And afterwards I asked to see my placenta because again, my first birth, it was taken away and disposed of. I didn't even know I had delivered it with my first uh, birth. Whereas I was really curious to see the placenta this time. So they took the time to show myself, my husband, gives a tour of the placenta which was really cool it is cool um, yeah. it is cool it's such a fascinating <laughs> organ like it's crazy yeah. so it took the time to look at that and like it was just it was recovery was amazing and what I couldn't get over this time around having not had the epidural is how quickly I could stand and walk yeah, and take a shower mm-hmm. like oh my, like I remember the first time like I had to be bed bathed and it was 
Whereas this time, like I was in the shower after about three hours, I was walking around the room. I was like, and I think because of that hormonal high that I missed out on the first time, I felt like I could have taken on anything in that moment. Like it was just, it's amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And he was perfect. And it was just, we just had this feeling, okay, so it was meant to be you. Like you were meant to get here. Like it just felt so, it was just incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And I felt able and I felt competent. And like the in France, there's an option as well, because everyone, even in public care, you have your own bedroom. So they can put a bed in with you for your husband to stay with you throughout your hospital stay. Oh, wow. okay. Um, which is cool. Like, so my yeah. husband stayed with me the first time with Hugo, but the second time I wanted him to be at home with Hugo. But I remember being like, no, it's okay. You don't need to stay. Like, you know, I've got this. I know I what I'm this. doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really cool because like, I couldn't even change a nappy the first time. And this time I was like, I was just amazing. Like, I kept him in, I didn't even bother with that fish tank by the bed. You know, I just, I had him in the bed with me and I didn't dress him and I didn't dress myself. And we just lay in this little cocoon for days. And it was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing and such a different postpartum then so in just so different so it was just it's crazy it's crazy how a few a few factors just a few things being done differently mm. could produce such an entirely different outcome that will last a lifetime oh definitely yeah. like absolutely like we definitely don't want any more kids but I would happily give birth again you know if, yeah. if I didn't if I didn't have to have another kid I would definitely give birth yeah, again. yeah the exact same <laughs> that's why I have a dog <laughs> yes <laughs> but uh no it's such it's oh it's it's amazing like it's absolutely amazing the difference and then my lactation consultant I still wanted to see her afterwards just to make sure we were actually off to a good start and she was like my god this is a different woman I see before me and like my midwife was the same they're like my god like I'm sitting up in bed full of chat and you know I was being another thing with the first time I felt like I needed to be ready for the world Whereas this time I was sitting in bed, I was, you know, we didn't have visitors in the house for ages. I ate my meals close to the bed. I slept when he slept. You know, I, I wasn't trying to get him into the basket. He just was in the bed because that was what was easier and what worked. And just, yeah, it was so much easier. It was like, I mean, having another baby isn't easy. Babies aren't easy, but it felt, we felt more able this time, which I think makes such a difference. Shauna, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, well, thank you so much. for It was so, so, so lovely to talk to you finally face to face. If you would like to support the podcast a little bit further, every download goes a long way. But if you want to help me get a little bit more exposure, you can pop onto your podcast platform and either rate the podcast or leave a review. And also in the show notes, there's a little link to an Acast um feature which basically gives you access to episodes without any ads so ad free basically for five euro a month it's also a way to show me your support and to help me keep the podcast afloat thank you to those that have signed up i really appreciate it it goes such a long way have a good week and i will fingers crossed chat to you on monday with a new episode up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.